When we hear that gospel reading, it's good to imagine what that scene would have been like. When the disciples are walking with Jesus in Jerusalem and they're looking up at the beautiful temple and how it's adorned, it's good to remember that that temple at that time was considered one of the wonders of the world. People would look at it and they would say, how could something like this possibly have been built? To give you just a little example, a concrete example of those stones that Jesus refers to when he says, not one stone will be left upon another. Some of the stones were as large as 67 feet long, 9 feet wide and 7 feet high. And could you imagine 2,000 years ago, how would you move something like that into place and build up a temple? And it was so white and gleaming that the sun would shine and, and radiate out people from a distance. It looked like a hill of snow. And Jesus is walking by it, and he says, this will all come down. The precursor to the temple we find in the book of Genesis when Jacob has his famous dream. Remember when Jacob lies down upon the stone that he uses for a pillow, and he has a dream, a magnificent dream, where there's a ladder, and celestial beings are going between heaven and earth on that ladder, Jacob's ladder. And he wakes up and he says, the Lord has been in this place all along, and I did not know it. And then he says, this is the house of the Lord, the gate of heaven on earth. That's the precursor of the temple, the house of the Lord, the house of God, the gate of heaven on earth. The place where people believed God dwelled within those stones. There's another layer to what Jesus is saying here when he talks about the temple being destroyed. Well, the people who first heard this in the Gospel of Luke, uh, we, most scholars believe that the Gospel didn't take its form until after the year 70 at the earliest, which means that the temple had been destroyed. And people would have known that when they first heard that Jesus' prophecy came true. But there's another layer, because he clearly is also talking about himself. Remember, Jesus is the incarnation of God in the flesh. God's full presence dwelt in him, and his body also would be, be destroyed, but then also renewed. And both things are being spoken at the same time here. Though the disciples, interestingly, um, their response is typical of the disciples. They often are over their heads and don't know what's going on. And I always feel like this question they ask is kind of that lame question that you ask when you don't know what else to say. And they say, well, when's this going to happen? But even there is meaning. Do you notice what they're asking is about time? And so this is the point. Not only do the disciples do this, but we often ourselves today do this frequently, where we confuse things that are temporal with things that are eternal. And it especially happens when those temporal things, those wonderful things that maybe human hands have created, are there to carry things that are eternal. But sometimes we forget the difference between the two. I'll give you one example, and this is an example from the church. And it's about my grandmother. And some of you may have heard this before, but I know many have not. My grandmother was a great Episcopalian. 
Um, like me, she was a cradle Episcopalian. So right from the beginning, she was, you know, saying the proper prayers. Um, and she loved the church so much that when the church decided to change the prayer book, she had to leave the church. <laughs> uh, and this is a true story. What happened is the, the prayer book changed. The 1928 prayer book was her prayer book. And so my grandmother did the logical obvious thing that you do. Um, she went to the Presbyterian church down the street every Sunday at that time and to herself quietly in the pews said by heart the words of the 1928 prayer book during the service. Um, the happy end of the story is that she somehow made peace and realized that you could pray with other prayers and they would still lift you to the eternal. We do need to break out of the systems that we create and that we love and to realize that if they're doing their job, they're pointing us to the eternal, but they themselves are not it. We need that reminder often. Interestingly, human beings, by our nature, we get nostalgic for things. Often those things are temporal things, things in time. Um, I was communicating with my sister earlier this week as Thanksgiving is right around the corner. We're starting to think about all that is coming and childhood memories. Interestingly, you become nostalgic for things even if those weren't good things because you grew up with them and they remind you of things that were important. And so for me, I have a Thanksgiving nostalgia that I bet nobody else here has. Uh, I grew up in Southern California, my grandparents, same grandmother I was talking about, they lived in Anaheim, and they loved, almost as much as the Episcopal Church, what they loved was golf. And so they retired to Palm Springs. And so that was the agreement with my family that every Thanksgiving, we would celebrate Thanksgiving in the desert. And so for me, Thanksgiving, I think about that warm, dry November air. <laughs> I think the smell of fresh-cut grass, <clears throat> the sound of that, the very distinct sound of a golf ball being hit, <laughs> and then somebody cursing because they missed the green, <laughs> and the weird food that my grandmother would serve us when we arrived. These are precious memories for me. I'm not kidding. <laughs> but here's the thing. Those are the temporal aspects, but there's an eternal quality that they evoke which is the relationship, that our family got to get together. That's the eternal quality. And now that my grandparents are no longer with us in a mortal sense, the relationship is not gone. We have to know the difference. And so with the temple, remembering the words of Jacob, that this is the house of God, the gate of heaven on earth, there's a lot of good news here. God has chosen to dwell not merely in dead stone, but in the faithful. We have become the dwelling of God, the house of God and the gate of heaven on earth. That is us. The body of Christ has been renewed, and it is us. We are members of it. That eternal quality is in our midst, and we carry it. 
Jesus says when the disciples are hearing about all that's going to happen, he says, don't be terrified. And then he tells them all these terrible things that are going to happen. It's very interesting. He says, do not be terrified. Some of you will be beaten up. Some will be killed on account of me. And but not one hair of your head will perish. What a mystery. Well, the final word in the passage is the word soul. That your soul will remain. That is the eternal quality. The eternal part of us is that part. The great preacher of the 20th century, Lutheran pastor Paul Scherer, said that the longing of the world in its innermost heart is not for restoration or reformation, but for renewal. Not for forgetfulness, but for forgiveness. Not for prosperity, but peace. Not for security, but strength. I don't know if he meant this when he wrote those words, but every single one is going from temporal to eternal. And it is not far from us. You have known the eternal quality of God if you have known love. Because love takes us there from forgetfulness to forgiveness, from prosperity to peace, and from security to strength. Amen.